You know, this entire season has been, as, as we all know, has been somewhat taken over from a consumer mentality, right? I mean, everything is about the busyness. I mean, it's hard to believe that we're 14 days away. And when, as I mentioned that, even some of you sitting here are probably going, oh my gosh, I still have so much to do, right? And so this, this holiday, this season has been somewhat commandeered by our consumer kind of mentality. And, and that's okay on some level, but at some point we have to stop all of that and just say, why do we exist in the first place? We exist to worship and glorify the Lord. And so this entire season is no different really than what should be every day and every breath of our entire lives, but really rallied around this time of year, we're reminded how grateful we should be for a God who broke into our world. And that's what Advent is about. It's about the inbreaking of God into humanity, that God came to rescue you and I from our sin. And the word Advent literally comes from that Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. We are celebrating the coming and arrival of Christ, the incarnation, the breaking in of Christ into the world. And we are celebrating a second Advent, which is the promise that Jesus will come back. And so it's not an isolated event that happened 2,000 years ago in human history where Jesus is still somewhere lying in a manger. But we celebrate the inbreaking of God and the birth of Jesus Christ who grew up, who walked sinlessly, who obediently gave his life for the sacrifice of of our sins to be raised from the dead to give us victory and then promises to come back where there will be no more tears and no more sadness and no more brokenness and he will restore and redeem all things. I mean, this is the, the truth that we live in. So this season is a reminder of those great promises. Historically, Advent was always a reminder for the early church about the celebration of Epiphany which happens in January, early January, in which they would baptize all the new believers from that year. They would baptize them on Epiphany. It was a celebration of the incarnation. As we said, God's inbreaking. They would do that in Epiphany. And Advent led up to Epiphany, and Epiphany was a season that led up to Lent. And so the church calendar was ordered around these incredible movements, uh, reminders, if you will, that year-round our focus should be on Jesus, right? And that's how the early church built its calendar. And, and we've gotten away from that, but the tradition there is really, really amazing. And so Advent is one of those great reminders. So over this season, over the past week and over the next four, three weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the prophetic names that were given to Jesus, the coming Messiah. We're going to explore those as we kind of teach through what we can expect from the character and nature of a God who broke into our world. And last week we looked at Jesus Emmanuel. Um, and we talked about how I believe it's the single greatest promise in all of scripture, Emmanuel, God with us, that God has promised to not only be with us, but to never leave us nor forsake us, that most literally, most literally God is with us, that whatever you're dealing with living in or wherever you are, God is present. He gave us his very presence and the person of Jesus Christ. And that when we surrender our lives to him, we are promised the end Holy Spirit, therefore God is always with us. It means you cannot run from him. There is no place that you go that he is not. And I know there are times in our lives, and we talked about this last week, where we feel like God could not be farther away, but we are relying on the promise of scripture that says God with us. Even in those moments where things seem desperate or there seems to be a lack of peace, we rely on the promise that God has never left us nor forsake us and his very presence is what guides us and sustains us. We talked about Jesus, Emmanuel. And today we're going to talk about Jesus, Prince of Peace, but not in the classical way that we think about peace, but instead as being the peace of our war-ridden hearts. And we're going to explore that and in the next few weeks we're going to look at Jesus, King of Kings and Jesus Lord of Lords, as we celebrate and redirect our hearts 
during this incredible season. So the idea of Jesus, Prince of Peace, is kind of throughout Scripture, right? It's, it's, it's woven throughout the tapestry of Scripture that Jesus came to do something incredibly significant to put our war-ridden hearts, that were literally enemies of God, at peace. And we see that really celebrated during this time is actually a, a prophecy that Isaiah had in chapter 9, verse 6, where he gave that name to the coming Messiah, where he says, Unto us a child will be born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is what Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus would, was born would prophesy that the coming Messiah would be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and prince of peace but what kind of peace did jesus come to broker that's what we're going to look at this morning so if you've got your bible i want you to open them up to luke chapter 2 we're going to look at that really famous actually one of the scenarios that we sung about this morning uh, a really famous beautiful encounter uh, where the shepherds are out tending their sheep and the company of angels comes to announce the coming and the arrival, the advent of the Messiah. So as you turn to Luke chapter 2, let's take a moment and let's just pray and then we'll open those texts together. Lord, I'm so grateful for uh, the fact that these promises that we're exploring are not promises that only take place during Christmas time. That God, our, our reminder to battle down consumer mentality, the materialism that kind of com just conflicts our hearts is not a seasonal thing. It's a, it's a daily battle. Father, to make a decision to choose you over the world, to believe that you are enough for all that we need, and that Christmas is not defined by the things that we get or have, as we all know, but instead the fact that you redeemed us and call us to love each other, demonstrating that love to the watching world. We know this. Every one of us knows it. You know, the truth is it's just hard to live it sometimes. This is a stressful time of the year. Often for some of us is reminded of what we don't have. Sometimes that's material. Sometimes it's relational. Sometimes we're reminded that this time of year is lonely or that we lost someone that we love and it's a hard season. But God, your promise, Jesus Emmanuel, is that you never leave us. You are with us and that you are present. And that God, your promise that Jesus, Prince of Peace, as we're going to look at today, is a promise that you have given victory to our worn, torn hearts. That God, you are above all and in all and through all. Take a moment in, your, in your, just your world right where you sit and just ask the Lord to prepare you, to prepare your heart this morning to meet with him. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you. Do the, we do this each week. Pray that God would move in them. Be in the habit of praying for other people as we talk about everything that unfolds here on a Sunday morning is not about you. Pray that somebody next to you would encounter the risen God, that he would change their lives. Pray, pray for them, even if you don't know their name. Just whisper to the Lord that asking him to move in them. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. We ask you to take this timeless, knowable story one that many of us have grown up with. We have 
acted parts of in Christmas pageants when we were kids, we have sung about, we have read about, and make it come alive to us to redirect our hearts this season to Jesus, Prince of Peace, in your holy and redeeming, rescuing name. Amen. So hopefully this section of text is very familiar. It sounds familiar. We literally just sang part of it word for word, and hopefully it's something that you've encountered. And we're going to look at it from a little different angle this morning, as sometimes we do. But let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and we'll go down through verse 20. And they were, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will, fill, you will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and pondered them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Really is a remarkable thing, isn't it? That the God of the universe chooses to break into humanity, right? We talk about the incarnation a little bit last week. The incarnation is the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a fancy theological term which attempts to capture what is incapturable. It attempts to capture the idea that God in his holy, infinite, infinite, amazing wonder stepped into humanity in the life of a person. That the incarnation is the fullness of God dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing that God, wondrous creator, mighty God, broke into humanity, the incarnation, this way. Because the incarnation was a radical inbreaking. It was the collision of heaven and earth. John, as we've been studying for all these weeks up until Advent, reminds us in one that it was like light piercing the darkness. That the men hated it because men loved darkness, right? Humanity loves darkness. And light pierces the darkness. That the collision of heaven and earth is not something that just sort of eases in. But the incarnation, Jesus, sinless, perfect, holy, mighty God, encountering broken humanity and broken world, they don't ease in together. And so the incarnation was this magnificent collision of heaven and earth. And we get a real glimpse of it here. And it's not that all sitting around singing kumbaya and singing Christmas carols. It's actually an incredible thing. There are shepherds. Right, that are out in the fields watching their sheep by night. Now, by nature, shepherds stayed with their sheep 24 hours a day. Unless they led them into town and put them in a pen, the shepherds were with their sheep. And shepherds, by all practical purposes, were throwaways. 
They were basically the children of families that didn't have a real job, couldn't have a real job, or were relegated to going out and tending outside of town for weeks and weeks at a time what the family owned as part of their property. We know this. We know that shepherds were throwaways. Do you remember sort of how King, King David came to be? Do you remember when Samuel went looking for King David that God said, I'm going to send you to anoint him a king, anoint a king of all of Israel? And he goes to Jesse's household and he shows up to Jesse's household and he says, God has basically told me that the king was going to come from your line. And Jesse lines up seven beautiful, staggering, magnificent sons right? Like the Prater family, just lined up right there. <laughs> My brother's real short. He's like 5'9", and I tell him he's adopted all the time, but he's not. He's just not part of the staggering clan that we all are. <laughs> but there's one that's missing, right? And what, is, what does Samuel say? Uh, is this all of them? Because none of these guys are the king. And what does Jesse say? You remember he says, well, there's one more, but he's the youngest He's out there tending the sheep. He was essentially a throwaway, right? David was the throwaway. He was tending sheep. He wasn't even invited to stand in line with the brothers. And what happens? God, who doesn't look at outward appearance, as Samuel says, but looks at the heart, chooses David, right, to be the, the king of Israel, and the lineage of the Messiah is going to pour through his line. Shepherds were throwaways. They were marginalized. And yet here is the God of the universe breaking in to these shepherds. I mean, of all the thousands of ways God could have announced his, uh, his arrival to the kings, to the important people to say, look, here is what's happening. Instead, in the middle of this Middle Eastern night sky, a bunch of marginalized throwaways, the God of the universe shows up, right? He shows up. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, Right? They weren't out there for the night. This is their existence. They were living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night as they were supposed to do. And an angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. So as they're gathering out there, an angel of the Lord appears to them. Right, This is the imagery we get from all of our Christmas pageants. An angel of the Lord shows up, and the glory of the Lord shines all around them. And they are what? Terrified. Now, this is a part of the story that most of us usually don't encounter. Because what we remember from our children's pageants and from all the Christmas events is that there's this scene where an angel comes out and says these words, and everybody is just sort of in awe and in love. But this was a terrifying moment. And you want to know why? Because the angel showed up with the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory. This was no sort of easing in, comforting, like the sun comes out on a chilly day and your body feels warm. This is magnificent, holy presence of God shattering the night sky, and it was petrifying. And all through Scripture, when God's glory shows up, people are thrown to the ground, their hair turns white, they are petrified because of humanity's brokenness and the presence of God's holiness. Remember Paul? Saul, as he was called, on the road to Damascus. The light from heaven flashes, and what happens? Paul falls to the ground and goes blind. Time and time and time again in Scripture, people encounter the glory of the Lord. Some of them are killed, right? Some of them are rendered blind. 
all of them are rendered speechless and on the ground until they can utter words like, Lord, is that you? God is holy and he's majestic and he is wondrous and he is mighty and his presence is powerful. In fact, the Old Testament tells us that his presence launches entire nations, that it sounds, his voice sounds like thunder. That God is this incredible, wondrous, perfect God. And his glory, right, you can't encounter it because of all of our sinfulness. And so an angel Lord shows up and the glory of God explodes. And what does Luke tell us? He tells us that the shepherds were terrified, right? They're terrified. This happened at the resurrection, if you remember. An angel of the Lord rolls back the stone and sits upon it. The guards that were there shook and became like dead people. God's presence is not always this sort of friendly thing that we want to become buddy-buddy with. God's presence is mighty and it is holy and is petrifying because we are sinful and broken and the shepherds in the presence of it saw it and they had never seen anything like it and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord says to them, do not be afraid, right? The Holy Spirit comforts. The angel of the Lord shows up and comforts and this happens all through scripture too. Do not be afraid, right? Stand up. Do not be afraid. I bring you good, no- good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the angel says, showing up in God's incredible glory, right? Don't be afraid because what I am about to tell you is good news of great joy for all the people. And think about that statement for a minute. What I'm about to tell you, right? is good news, the good news, the good news that we talk about and have preached about, the euangelion, the good news, this good news that is of great joy, and guess what? It is for all the people. It is this incredible foreshadowing that Jesus was coming to not only break the paradigms that we understood, but to invite the entirety of humanity into God's redemptive promise, that this good news, this euangelion that would come in the person of Jesus Christ was for you And it was for me, and it was for the Gentiles, and it was for all of humanity that would encounter Jesus Christ and believe in him as their Lord and Savior. This is great joy because without Jesus, we are destined to eternal separation from God. So the angel of the Lord in one statement wraps up the entirety of the gospel and basically says that I am bringing you the greatest news you will ever know. It is the good news and it is full of great joy because it will take you from death to life and it is for all people. And if there's ever a sort of a pregnant statement in all of scripture, it's this, that statement, right? What is wrapped up in the good news that's for all people? Well, it's 33 years or so of the life of Jesus that would lead to the death and resurrection, the launching of the church, the movement of martyrs, all the way up until where we stand today. The message has never altered. Good news of great joy for all the people. If we really understood the great joy in this, that we have been taken from death to life, very, I mean, it would be impossible for our lives, kind of how you and I have created them, to be living in the middle of the mediocrity that we have sown our Christian lives to. Most of us, if I were to pin you kind of over here to the side, just kind of ask you a couple questions, I don't know that you would define your life as a life of great joy. I think you would define your life as a life of, yeah, it's, got, it's, it's, it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's got blessings. I'm surely better, than, better off than some people. I mean, I, I, I know. The truth is, is it could be a lot worse. 
And that's a very true statement, right? We all know that. We couldn't have a place to live or maybe not enough food or we could be in a war-torn country, right? There's a lot of reasons things could be worse, but very few of us would define our lives as being lives of great joy, right? Very few of us are content with the circumstances in life we live in. But if we really understood what the angel was saying that night, that we were dead and broken and that God broke into our world to redeem us from the pit of hell, our lives would be stacked with joy, overwhelming sense of joyfulness for what God has done because that is for me, all people. But what's really incredible is as the angel of the Lord is speaking, right? So the angel is saying these things, right? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for today in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior, the town of David, which is Bethlehem. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, right? This will be a sign to you. So the angel's saying all these things, and then verse 13, suddenly, as if all that wasn't shocking and amazing enough, right? Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So as the angel's explaining these things, right? Good news of great joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. As he's speaking, it says, suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts, angels appear, and they begin to sing or chant or something. Now, I don't know what a great company looks like, but I can imagine in my own head what a great company would look like. But what would that look like to the Lord? I mean, we're talking thousands upon thousands of heavenly hosts that are now in the middle of the sky to these shepherds, these marginalized throwaways, celebrating this incredible thing, proclaiming, singing, chanting, worshiping. This is the first worship of Jesus, the Savior. Jesus of Nazareth begins in the Middle Eastern night sky to a bunch of throwaways by perhaps the greatest concert of all of concerts. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. It's a proclamation. So this incredible company, which I imagine in my head is more magnificent than anything I could possibly conjure behind this backdrop of an these angels this backdrop of a heavenly host that are proclaiming glory to God in the highest and peace on earth right or actually on earth peace to men on which his favor rests you know when we talk about the prince of of peace when we talk about Jesus prince of peace a lot of us have conjured this idea of peace as as us all holding hands and if you're from my generation or a little older, you're singing, we are the world, right? And everybody's sharing a Coke together. Uh, for some reason, that we are bringing each other together. We are linked arms, and we are singing, we are the world, and we're all nations, and we are peace, as if Jesus was coming into this world to broker a peace deal so that we can all hug and get along, peace at all costs. That's what our greeting card section looks like around Christmas time, that Jesus, Prince of Peace, means let's all stop fighting for a moment and just hug. Right? That's what we've conjured in our mind. Jesus, Prince of Peace. But this kind of peace is not what happens, and it's not what Jesus came to do. If you think about the inbreaking, the incarnation, it's it's not peaceful. Not in those definitions. It's radical, it's an upheaval, right? It's violent. 
Think about the life of Christ. It's not a peaceful life. Jesus is beaten. He's crucified. He's, he's literally killed. His followers would be martyred. Some of them crucified upside down. Most of them killed literally for their belief in Christ, tortured, thrown to lions. That still happens today around the world. If we would open our eyes, we would realize that all around the world today, there are still people that proclaim faith in Jesus Christ that are losing their lives. The inbreaking of Christ is not about peace where we all get along. It was violent and it was radical and it was the upheaval of paradigms. But the peace that Jesus came to do was something wholly different. Listen to that verse again. Glory to God of the highest. And what we want to say is, and peace on earth to men. But if you really look at that sentence structure, the verse actually is, and on earth, peace to men. And you may say to yourself, what's the difference? Well, there's a huge difference. Because here's the deal. Your heart is at war against God. Mine is too. We are deeply sinful. The Bible tells us that we are sinful from birth, and it actually calls us enemies of God. Now, most of us don't like to talk about it, but it's true. The Bible tells us that once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your sinful behavior, you and I are steeped in sin. Our very nature is the opposite of all that holy God is. We are outright at war against God's holiness because he is perfect and just and we are sinful and broken. We are enemies of him because of the nature that courses through our veins. We are at war. Our hearts and our lives are at war against the holiness of God. Jesus did not come to broker peace between all nations so that we could all get along under one kind of giant group hug. Jesus came to broker peace between the war of your sinful heart and the holiness of God. What Jesus came to do, the Prince of Peace, right? That on earth, peace to men on which his favor rests, meaning that if we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ, we have peace to men on this earth, because Jesus has come to reconcile our broken, war-ridden hearts with the holiness of God. That no longer are we enemies, no longer are we cast out, but Jesus, through his sin, exchanges God's glory for our sinfulness, thus bridging the gap between holy, mighty, incredible God of the universe and sinful, broken humanity through the death and resurrection of Jesus, giving peace to our hearts. Billy Graham to talk about it as being the single greatest thing in all of humanity, that God has given us steps to peace with him. That's how, he, that's how he talked about it. That through Jesus, we have opportunity to have peace with God. Jesus came as Prince of Peace to set our hearts first and foremost at peace with God. And then once that transpires, everything else is possible. Peace in broken relationships, peace between people, because the God of reconciliation right, begins to work and move through the hearts of his redeemed. So peace on earth comes not because we broker deals and we all decide to compromise and lay down our whatever. Peace comes because we surrender our life to Jesus. He brokers that incredible movement between God's holiness and our sinfulness. We are redeemed and we become movements of God's hand and God uses his redeemed people to change the world. Prince of Peace.
And it doesn't mean that that moment on, everything in your life gets easy. Ask anyone who has ever truly followed Christ, right? The world doesn't want any part of it. The world doesn't want any part of it. The world wants to live into its own accord. It wants to live into its own glory. It wants to live into its own pleasure. The very definition of someone who follows Christ is someone that lays down their life, dies to themselves, and the world will fight it at every corner. And life that follows Jesus is hard. And it's not peaceful in terms of everybody gets along. It's peaceful because I know that this life, this place, this world is not my home. I have peace here because I am no longer an enemy of God. I am no longer at war with God. He has rescued and saved me, and I can rest in my eternal security. And there is no greater peace, even in the upheaval of everything that's going on around me, even in a world that feels like it's slowly crumbling at every corner. I know that my soul is secure, and that is enough for me. And God, I want you to use me in that truth to do what you will. Jesus, Prince of Peace. Not kumbaya, teddy bears, bubble machines, rainbows, unicorns. Life is hard. But Jesus came to broker that gap between your sin, death-ridden life and the holiness of God. That's what we're really celebrating. That's what worship broke out to do. That's what Jesus came for in those moments, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, right? So they, just as they came, they just left. And they went back into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. They're they're going, we have got to see this, right? Which the Lord has told us. So they hurried off and found Mary. Shepherds don't leave their sheep. They would lose their lives and their jobs. But they left their sheep in the middle of the night. And they hurried off. And there's, man, I'd love to know what's in that statement. They run and and just all the way into the town, right? And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, right, just as they had been told, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So they saw this thing, this thing that they were told about that night that angels sung about and proclaimed and that incredible heavenly host shows up in the concert of concerts and they worship and they proclaim and the shepherds see the glory of the Lord and they race into Bethlehem and they find Mary and Joseph in the back of this place with their baby there, right? Just as they were told. And the shepherds returned after that, glorifying and praising God for the things that had been seen and heard which were just as they had been told. So the shepherds then go back to life, praising God. Unbelievable the things that they had been, that they had seen and had been told that they were true. And these guys, these shepherds, these people out there will will never be the same. This encounter to me is really incredible for a couple of reasons, and then we'll close our time in worship. It's incredible to me because God continues to, continues to remind me that he shows up in all the unexpected ways, right? I mean, <clears throat> the outcasts, the marginalized, standing out in the field, protecting their sheep from wild animals, uneducated, kind of cast out from their families, and worship begins in that place. He doesn't begin in the biggest cathedral, doesn't begin in the temple, doesn't begin in all the places that you think the worship of God would begin. In other words, worship is not contained to these spaces. It's not contained here. 
means worship isn't contained here on Christmas Eve when you show up or whatever church you go to on a candlelight service, and that's the worship of the Christ the King. No, worship begins in the place of your heart that recognizes that holy God broke in to save you. That means worship begins with your family and the places that you are saying, this year everything's going to be different for us because we're worshiping a God who gave his son to redeem us. And that doesn't happen on a one-night carol sing where we light candles after we finish shopping. That God shows up that way in our lives and does the incredible and doesn't promise happiness and perfect joy and all of these things that are tied to our emotions that say everything in life is going to work out like I want it. No, he says, what I promise you is peace to your war-ridden soul if you will lay your life down. Surrender to me and I will set your soul at peace. It doesn't mean all the corners of your lives are going to connect perfectly. It doesn't mean that all the checkbooks are going to balance right. It doesn't mean that you'll never have a broken relationship or you'll never fail at something. What it means is that the brokenness, war-ridden areas of your heart that are at violent war against God because of your sinful nature and his holy perfection are bridged smooth and clean and you have been saved and redeemed and that alone is enough to lay your life down and say, Jesus, you get all of me. Peace, not on earth, but on earth, peace to men, people, humanity, right? That's what Jesus came to do. So this season, whatever that means for you and your family, orient your heart correctly to worship. That Jesus, Prince of Peace, does not mean we're all going to get along and no one's going to fight on Christmas Eve when we eat dinner with the in-laws, right? Possible. But it means, Prince of Peace, that Jesus, you came to redeem our brokenness. You gave your son Jesus, and we will worship you. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, Prince of Peace, brokering, right, redemption for our souls. Let's close our time in worship. Let's pray together. God, we thank you just for the moments to gather in this place, for the truth that is so deeply kind of buried into those words that we have somehow, I mean, at least in my life, have, have, have brushed into this amazingly cool pageant story, but fail to remember the nature by which things happen. And that is, God, you are holy and I am not, and I am deeply sinful and you are perfect. And God, we do not work together. I am at war against you with every fiber of who I am. And yet, Jesus, you came You broke into this earth to give peace to my war-ridden soul. That if we trust in you, your promise is that you redeem our lives. So when I say Prince of Peace, God, what I mean is that you have brought peace to my broken heart. And that, God, that is enough for me. If the numbers don't line up, the relationships always don't work out, if things don't always go according to plan, that's okay because Jesus you are enough for me you have redeemed my broken heart from the pits of hell most literally you have saved me and you have promised to never leave me nor forsake me Jesus Emmanuel so Lord be glorified be exalted and be the center of our worship Jesus Prince of Peace Let's stand together and close our time in worship.